1: Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have the pleasure of welcoming my new friend, Dr. Nichols. Dr. Nichols, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, sir.
0: Well, thanks. Looking forward to the time to have this conversation with you.
1: Yes, sir. Me too. Very much so. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about your live marriage ministry and you know what current ministry products you're working on?
0: Oh, Sure. So married to Heidi, we we met in college and got married uh, right after we graduated. Uh, We have three kids and we live here in Central Florida. We were Pennsylvanians all our lives uh, up until about six years ago. And uh, then we made the move down here. It's a real privilege for me to be able to serve here as president of Reformation Bible College. Um, We'll get into this. I'm sure this, of course, was a college founded by Dr. Sproul and also work uh, at Ligonier Ministries as the chief academic officer. So just a real privilege to be part of this ministry, both here at RBC and Ligonier. As far as ministry projects, um, you know, writing this biography of Dr. Sproul was was such a hoot, it's going to be hard to find a book <laughs> or a subject, uh, you know, that will quite be equal to that. Um, but I've, I've been working on a biography of Augustine. So that'll be, that's fun project. And then I'm also working with Crossway on a study Bible, uh, a new study Bible they're going to be producing called the Historical Study Bible and serving as an editor of that. So we're about to get into the Roll up your sleeves, uh, heavy lifting for that project very shortly here. Um it'll be out in a year or two.
1: Well, that's uh you definitely uh stay very, very busy. And um, you know, on behalf of our listeners, I just want to say we very much appreciate the ministry of Ligonier and all that you guys do. And I know God is uh blessing that work and uh I'm excited about what's happening at Reformation uh, Bible College. So thank you for your work there.
0: Yeah, it's our it's our pleasure. It's really just a privilege. Come alongside people of God, come alongside of the church and just serve where we can. So we're we're just grateful that folks are out there and are encouraged by what we do. So thank you.
1: Amen, brother. Amen. Well, can you uh just tell us about your book, RC Sprawl Life, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received, please.
0: Well, it was really quite a few years ago that had the idea. I had written a lot of sort of biographical material. I had this whole series called Guided Tour. And in those volumes, I do a couple chapters of biography, then sort of step back and go through the author's writings. But I I really wanted to write a biography, a a start to finish, uh, birth to death, sort of just true biography and I was thinking, you know, who would be a good candidate for this? And I'd written a lot of church history figures, and I thought it might be interesting to do somebody who's more contemporary, could sort of get into the texture of their life a little bit more. And I just thought of Dr. Sproul. He's such an influence on me, such an influence on so many folks. We know just by his own teaching, he shares so many anecdotes and incidents from his life of what a colorful life he lived. Uh, that I just thought this would be a great project. And um, I actually had the idea to to take on the project before I moved down here full time. And then when I moved down here and began working under Dr. Sproul and alongside him here, um, it just proved to be a a really, just quite an opportunity for me uh, to be able to be with him as I worked on uh, the, the biography. That's wonderful, wonderful.
1: Well, you know, um, you touched on, you know, um, RC Sprawl and you know those those things, and you knew him very well. How would you describe personally the legacy of RC Sprawl?
0: Mm, yeah, it's a great question. I think you could see it in terms of the institutions, and there were three really that he that he founded: Ligonier Ministries, of course, and. Ligonier is a teaching ministry. It produces teaching materials, teaching series, table talk, our our daily devotional, monthly magazine, Reformation Study Bible. I think these things will continue. God has really blessed Ligonier. We're working in 20-some languages currently, actively working in a, a dozen or so languages of producing material. Ligonier has a Farsi Website, uh, it just is amazing—an uh, Arabic website, a Chinese website. So, so I think that's going to be a continued um, ministry as as God sees fit to use it. He founded Saint Andrew's, a, a church here in Central Florida, back in 1997. It's a thriving local church serving the Central Florida area. I think that church, uh, biblically faithful uh pastored by uh, Dr. Burt Parsons. I think that church will continue to be part of his legacy. And then the college, Reformation Bible College, we we're, we're sitting at about 130, 140 students. We'd like to grow to about 200. God has blessed us with a beautiful campus. Uh we're we're just now undertaking the building of student housing. So I think for generations to come, uh our, our prayer is that we have a faithful uh, Bible college here training, you know, not a cast of thousands, uh, but more like special forces, and uh, sending them out into the pulpit and into the pew. I think his legacy is those institutions. I think it's also books, and of course, Holiness of God, Chosen by God. I I do think these are going to take their place as classics in the history of the Christian tradition. I I think Holiness of God is going to be read for, for generations to come. And I think then that really gets to, I think, what is at the heart of his legacy. Uh, Dr. Sproul's ministry all labored for one single focus and one single target. And that was to just help people know who God is, uh, whether they are in the church or in culture. Dr. Sproul would say, our biggest problem is we don't know who God is. And he just labored to put before people um, and, and a very clear communication style, a very engaging, compelling communication style, but also just based on the solid truth right over the plate of who God is. And so I think that teaching of the holiness of God is really the the sort of center of his legacy. Yeah. That's uh that's that's really well said, brother.
1: Um you know i i think that the books that you mentioned in my mind are already classics um you know they've had a profound influence on people's lives and um you know praise god for how he how he used and how he continues to use rc um what what influence
0: has he had on your life personally i think the fact that he was just a man of conviction he he loved luther loved Luther's boldness uh, he loved the great stories of church history of polycarp of athanasius it was said of athanasius that he was you know athanasius contra mundum athanasius standing against the world RC loved that uh, he loved that boldness and courage and conviction and you know that commitment to never waver never compromise Never try to um, think that we need to cower uh, in a cave somewhere, uh, but really just to stand firm in our conviction. I think also, too, just his uh, enjoyment of people. He truly loved being around people, he enjoyed people. You know, a lot of these sort of big name folks, they're sort of isolated um, and they don't always necessarily have friends. RC had friends. He had pagan friends, uh, you know, from, from the country club that he played cards with. Um, and over the years, he's led many of these folks to Christ. Uh, there's some of the key leadership at St. Andrew's Church were folks that were pagans and uh, converted uh, through through RC's testimony and just through his friendship and his apologetic uh, at, there at the country club. Um, so he had friends. um he, he enjoyed laughter. Uh, he was the king of the one liners and um, had a had a, you know, joker sized grin uh, as he went through life. Uh, so I think there's just a lot there. That you could see just as a person um, that you just enjoyed being around and, and you, you know, not, you don't want to copy it or, or imitate it, uh, but you just learn from it of just a, a way that Christians uh, can live faithfully as disciples uh, in this world in which we live. That's, uh,
1: that's wonderful. Well, that was, that's a beautiful uh, testimony, brother. Um, You know, personally, I I resonate with your comment about his clarity of thought that just challenges me as I as I write a lot uh, for a lot of different places. And, uh, you know, God's blessed me with that and just making sure that I'm clear, you know, and and engaging to help, you know, whoever reads it, hopefully a layperson, you know, um, that doesn't know that concept that uh, those ideas from the Bible, you know, and. And so that's really what I want to do, and and RC has helped me in that way, just to be so um, more engaging and but clear as well. Um, You know, I think it was Einstein who said, if you if you can't explain something simply, then you don't know it, and that's always challenged me too. Um, Just to be with a reminder that hey. Um, You can know all these things in your head, but if you can't explain them simply and clearly and in an engaging way, then maybe you need to go back and study them again, you know, and, and that's a good reminder for us all too that that we need to keep growing in these things and, and really that's what I'm trying to say is RC uh, helped me personally in that way. You know, uh, you've mentioned uh RC's ministry and how it uh has led many people to the Lord. What what can Christian um you know people learn from his example of evangelism?
0: He he would see himself as as a ligioneer as more of a discipleship ministry, not necessarily an evangelism first uh ministry, but more of a discipleship equipping ministry. But I, I think over the years, he has, through the, his teaching, through the reach of Ligonier, many people have come to Christ. For one, he, he does bring clarity to real issues. He brings clarity to who is God. Uh, he brings clarity to the question of who am I? And he brings clarity to the question of who is Christ? And really, those are the three questions that get at the gospel. We need to understand who God is. We need to see, you know, he has this wonderful book, Saved. Uh, question mark, right? And it's saved from what? Well, we're, we're saved from the wrath of God because God is holy and we are not. And that's where we start. And because God is holy and we are not, we need a substitute. And so we are immediately taken to Christ and who Christ is. So he just, he taught that in a number of contexts. He's, I've met a number of people who were in Roman Catholicism. And through Dr. Sproul's teaching, uh, came to see the the gospel and the light of the gospel and come to Christ through that. And uh, he's written a number of books and engaged those issues biblically and also historically by going back to the Reformation and seeing what the Reformation was all about. So I think what we can learn from him is clarity on the gospel, clarity on the main points of the gospel. And that we just consistently teach those things, consistently circle back to them. We don't assume that people know. We don't just jump right to Jesus died for your sins. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's make sure they understand what sin is. Uh, let's make sure they understand what, who a holy God is. Um, so, so I think that's what we can learn. Uh, these are the, These are the three most important propositions. God is holy. We are not. We need a substitute. And uh, as we engage with people, and as we as we love people, and people we know, and serve people, uh, we just need to think about ways to help them think through uh, those three propositions. I, I I think that's probably the best we can learn yeah. from his example.
1: What 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 does that look like practically? Just for people that are you know they're listening, they're they're really engaged, they're interested in that in that. Uh, What does that look like in in their uh, engagement with people?
0: You know, I think if people are honest with themselves, they will admit that they're a sinner. They'll admit that they sin, but do they really grasp what sin ultimately is? And I think if we have the measure, if we help people, one thing we can help people do is not measure themselves against others, but measure themselves against God's standard of holiness. And now okay now we fall short now we need Christ I think so many folks measure themselves against others they say yeah okay I do things I'm not as bad as I could be certainly not as bad as that guy over there um so you know God's going to he's going to honor that and and my good way outweighs my bad and I'll be alright We really need to help people see that that's bad thinking uh, that uh, and this is where, you know, the text he always went back to is Isaiah chapter 6. So here's Isaiah. He's a prophet. But compared to the standard of God's holiness, he's an undone pile of thread um, and crying out uh, for the coal of the altar to touch his lips, to sanctify him, to purge him. So I think, it's, I think it's what we need to do. We just need to help people see, you know, yeah, we all sin, right? We all have our shortcomings. That's not what we're talking about here. Not talking about our, our little picadillos. We're talking about do we measure up to the standard of God's holiness? How if we can help people see that 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 then the gospel begins to break through. Mm, so good,
1: brother. So good. You know, you you write a lot about uh, RC's marriage to his wife Vesta. In, in what ways is their marriage an example to other married couples who serve in ministry together?
0: It, the story of Doctor Stroll is a love story. It really is the story of RC and Vesta. He met her when he was in the first grade and she was in the second. He says from that moment on he knew he was going to marry her. She doesn't really remember much of it at all. So that's just kind of fun. But they, you know, dated in junior high years, engaged through college, married when she graduates and he's still got his senior year to go. It's always been RC Investa. And she is very much a part of the ministry. In fact, she continues to be part of the ministry. She's in her office here every day at Ligonier. She looks at pretty much every printed word that goes out. She's got her trusted pen there in her hand as she reads and edits and very much involved in the direction of Ligonier. Very much a part here, and, and we, we, all, I always enjoy time with Vesta. She serves on the board of the college, and I love talking to her about what the college is up to and different projects and initiatives we're undertaking. So uh, it was a genuine partnership, uh, RC and Vesta. And you know, I often go back to Martin and Katie. Uh, you you wouldn't have had Martin Luther without Katie, and I believe you probably would not have had R.C. Sproul. And we're, we're Calvinists, so we don't deal in the hypotheticals. <laughs> so I'll yeah. prefer that. But if we were to deal in the hypotheticals, you would not have you would not have had R.C. Uh, without Vesta. He genuinely loved her, and uh, yeah. So so you ask, what kind of example are they? Uh, you know, one of the early books R.C. wrote was a book on marriage. Uh, it's like his fourth fourth or fifth book in the early 70, mid 70s, mid-70s. Uh, it was on marriage. So he, he thought this is a very crucial topic for Christians, and they need to be faithful to their spouses and and biblical. And my goodness, we have examples all around us of, of Christian leaders who have fallen in this area. And here's R.C. Investa, loving, faithful to the end. There's just a great example.
1: Yeah, that, that, that reminds me of... Um... You know, there's a recent book out by Ray Rhodes on um the marriage of Charles and Susie Spurgeon. And what you said just basically is the same thing between Charles and Susie. You know, they, they love each other and they serve one another. They they faithfully partnered together and they were a help to um Susie was a an, an enormous help to Charles and, and mm-hmm. so that's that's just wonderful to, to hear that. Um and, and to read it in your book as well. So you know, RC, he had many, many friends within evangelical circles. How did those relationships
0: further his impact? Well, they were foxhole buddies. Uh, you know, the, the, he was involved in different crises and controversies in the church, you know, going back to the inerrancy crisis in the 70s and the Chicago statement, evangelicals and Catholics together in the mid 90s. He wasn't alone in those. Uh, so, one of his close friends was, was Jim Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, the pastor at 10th Press in Philadelphia, an author of many books and started the conference, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. This was back in the 70s. This was, these were voices in the wilderness. You know, we have all this lay, great lay education, podcasts, conference circuit, books, websites. We got to go back to the 70s. The Reformed voice... in in America was a a voice in the wilderness. And early on, he met Jim Boyce and they were friends right to the very end. But one of the most beautiful things in the book is not something I wrote. It was something that Dr. Sproul wrote. And it was the letter that he wrote to Boyce when he learned of Boyce's cancer. And Boyce passed very quickly from the time of his diagnosis to his death. And R.C. wrote, a beautiful letter. I'm not trying to promote, uh, be overzealous in promoting the book here. I think that letter is worth the price of the book. And it shows, you know, a lot of folks, they see the platform ministry, they see guys introduce each other, they hear about friendships, but that letter really shows the depth of the friendship that exists between uh, some of these folks and that R.C. had with Jim Boyce. Of course, the other friend he had was MacArthur, and MacArthur spoke at his funeral. They were, they were foxhole buddies and differences, lots of theological differences uh, on matters of baptism and church government, but so together on the solas and on those essential doctrines and sort of a mutual encouragement to each other, those two. So those friendships meant a great deal to RC.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, what would you say to the pastor or ministry leader or the aspiring pastor or ministry leader today about the importance of friendships for for themselves in light of what you just said?
0: Yes, it's, it's super important. It's also super hard. And I get it. Uh, pastors, are, they need to keep things close to the vest. Uh, people can betray you. And so you're you're a little bit always cautious about how deep you want to go, how much you want to reveal. People can turn on you and you're sort of aware of that. And, and there's a risk in those kinds of friendships. So I get that they're hard. Sometimes it's just a geographical thing that you just feel you are, you feel isolated because you are isolated geographically. But however you can cultivate, even if they're long distance friendships, cultivating friendships are really crucial. Um, And I I think you see that in some of these folks. So I, I, I get it. I'd say it's absolutely important, but it's also hard. And so it's going to take a little effort. Uh, to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. And, um, you know, just maybe I would say just find maybe a couple of guys if you're a guy, you know, in ministry, just find a couple of guys that, you know, maybe are in the are in ministry in your town or, you know, maybe from seminary and just be really intentional and, you know, encourage them and and uh, ask how you can pray for them and um, those types of things. And, and likewise, reach back, you know, um, those are those are the kind of things that I do and just find it really helpful and um for for all the reasons that you just said. So um go ahead. Oh, I was just say no.
0: I think that's that's very sound advice, Dave. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh,
1: what were some interesting facts or anecdotes you learned about RC in your research for this book? Yeah, I'll just give you
0: one because it's it's priceless. Um, when he was a seminary student, he had a pastorate, a student pastorate. And this was in Lindora, Pennsylvania, which is a little bedroom community of Butler. And Butler is just slightly to the north uh, of Pittsburgh. This This was a tough as nails town, Lindora. These were all steel workers. The The big plant there was owned by Bantam Jeep. During World War II, they made tanks, tank tracks, and Jeeps. Um, Then after the war, they made... Big train wheels for locomotives. So this is this is a hard town. This is this is the steel mill, and it was populated. This area was populated mostly by Hungarians, and so this is a Presbyterian church in a Hungarian neighborhood of steel workers. And this is RC's first pastorate, and he's young, of course, twenty-three going on twenty-four. And there's a lady in the church. She's having difficulty with her daughter. She's she's dating a guy that she thinks is a good for nothing. And she's expressed her opinion a lot. And so one night she calls RC, she's slurring her speech. So he's beginning to think that she might be a little bit inebriated. And she's saying, when she comes home, I'm gonna let her have it, you know? And so RC goes out of the parsonage, walks down the block a little bit, goes to her house. This is like midnight. She, she opens the door. She's standing there with a bottle of something in one hand, whiskey, something, and a revolver, a pistol in the other hand. Oh my. Oh yeah. And and she's obviously (laughs) drunk and RC, she's waving this pistol around, and all RC that could think to say to her is, "Whoever her name was, what we'll won't give it." but he goes, "You, you really don't want to shoot me? Why don't you just put that gun down?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. And she goes, she goes over to the nightstand and, and, or to the uh, the stand there by the, by the couch and, and puts the gun down and RC secures it and goes back to seminary class the next day and says to his colleagues, hey, I got a, a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did wow oh,
1: that's so crazy. there you go that's crazy that's awesome
0: you never know what no. what pastors never know what what's gonna what awaits them yeah
1: well um, what was uh, writing a biography different from the other types of writing you've done, writing this biography different from the other types of writing you've done?
0: Yes. Yeah, great question. Two ways. One is, as I mentioned, I've done biographical stuff, but not a true biography from birth to death. So this was the first biography that I've written, written a lot of church history stuff. but And then secondly, most of the people I write on are of prior centuries i did write a book on machin who gets up into the 1930 but this was the first person i wrote on that i actually met knew, and knew people who were influenced by him and i grew up uh, about 20 miles away from the study center so i grew up in western pennsylvania i speak i speak with the western pennsylvania accent you know i've got the dialect uh, so, so I think it just helped me. You know, I couldn't ask Sarah Edwards what Jonathan was like, uh, but I could talk to Vesta about RC. So, so uh, for me, it was just delightful—the uh, opportunities and and truly different from what I've written before. But just pos- very such a positive experience uh, writing this book. Yeah. Well, how
1: can Christian biography help Christians today, you know, strengthen their faith and encourage them and those types of things? Yeah, I
0: think it's just examples. You know, we we, we recognize the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we have to recognize the Holy Spirit is not a unique gift. The Holy Spirit is a corporate gift and not just a corporate gift, you know, to the body of Christ, but a corporate gift to the global church, a corporate gift to the historic church. And so we're cutting ourselves off from very helpful examples by not paying attention to. Christian biography. And, it, and it's a little bit assuming, you know, that we don't need to learn what the Holy Spirit has taught others. We can only sort of go roll along with what the Holy Spirit has taught us. So I just encourage people uh, to be encouraged. And, you know, we, we got to be careful. These are legs of iron, feet of clay. We don't set them up on pedestals. Uh, we use them to point us to Christ and point us to scripture and point us to a life of biblical faithfulness. But I, I think we can have examples. You know, Paul tells Timothy to follow me. Uh, that I have been an example to you and imitate me and uh, I think that you know sometimes we shy away from that uh, but I think it's a perfectly legitimate Christian enterprise uh, for us to have examples and to look to examples and then remember too we're examples for those that come after us so we're the teachers of the next generation we're the leaders of the next generation and that's an obligation we have
1: as well man that the you, you hit that you hit that on the money I mean you know we are afraid today of you know imitation but you know you look at the even the disciples and right they, they absolutely were, yeah they were imitating jesus and that that's why paul can say that you know to in, in uh, first corinthians 11 one, um you know imitate me as i imitate christ you know it's not just imitate me but imitate me as i follow christ you know i'm not pointing to myself it's not about me but it's about jesus and Mm -hmm. jesus work in me and through me and i think one of the things one of the reasons and i would be interested in your thoughts is that we have such a low and uh, wrong thinking about weakness today and i think (laughs) that's why we have uh and and humility Um, and, and, you know, it shows up in a lot of ways, um, you you know, and, And I just, I I have to remind myself all the time, like, don't be afraid to be, you know, like you were saying, you know, be, be, we can be open, but we don't have to be open, you know, we don't have to air our dirty laundry, but we can be real with people. And people find that, you know, especially non-Christians, they find that very appealing, that 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 breaks down walls, you know, growing up in Seattle, um, I saw that again and again. Um, you know they, they might object to what I believe but they're not going to object when they see how I'm living and that I'm real um, that that cut through a lot of the a lot of the other stuff you know the hypocrisy mm. and those types of things so mm-hmm. it's true what are uh, what are some of the biggest lessons Christians can learn from the ministry of R.C. Sproul oh I think it comes
0: back to his main emphases Uh, theological emphases. The holiness of God is certainly there. The inerrancy of Scripture, the authority and reliability of Scripture is there. I think the solas, you know, which gets into sola scriptura, but then sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Those are really just the, the essential theological themes. He he talks about them all the time. You find them, you know, across his teaching. I think the other thing that we learn from him his example is, you know, the beginnings of the study center. This was a place people could go with real questions. And you go back to the early 70s. It was a tumultuous moment in American culture where the war protests. Kent, Kent State is, is just a little bit across the border of Pennsylvania um, and not far at all. And R.C. had a tremendous ministry there. Ligonier was drawing on all those college kids from Western PA and, and over in Ohio were coming to the campus of Ligonier in the 70s. This is the hippies, is sexual revolution. People are feeling upended culturally. They're asking, you know, what's happened to my country? All those kinds of things. And here was a place where people could get, come with real questions and get real answers. And he wanted Ligonier not to be a place where people would hide from, Questions or run from questions, uh, but where they could get solid teaching, biblical teaching to answer real questions. And so I think I think that's something we can learn as Christians. You know, especially as we think about our next generation coming up, our eighteen to twenty somethings. You know, they have real questions. Um, they're surrounded by all sorts of cultural pressures. We live in a tumultuous moment, and we feel the cultural upheaval. Well, let's help people have a place to stand. Let's let Christians know. We have a sure and certain word, and we can stand here. So, I think that's that's one of the. I think that's an important thing we can learn from him. Learn from his example.
1: Yeah, that's that's really good. And and you just touched on something that um, is really really important to me. Uh, growing up in my teens, I was blessed to be in a church where we uh, studied systematic theology in, in youth Sunday school, which which I know is not the norm. But I would say, yeah, you're, yeah, um, you know. But questions. I I, I just started loving. Theology theology and ever uh, uh, since my teens I'm gonna be 40 here in a couple weeks uh, the 26th of this month uh, February um, and this won't go up guys until March 1st so it's right around that time when my birthday is but yeah just if reading RC and uh, John MacArthur since my teens um, you know I learned to ask the right questions because I I was getting that sound theology so it wasn't just like hey I'm gonna make up a question and there an answer you know so the question is is leading me in a way that away from truth rather than to the truth because you know our questions they really reveal our convictions and so our convictions have to be solid solidly grounded in in the bible and and that's where i see so many young people just going way far away you know um especially growing up in seattle they they you know, are confused. And so they ask the wrong, qu- they're asking the wrong questions. So I'm, I'm always having to say, no, let's, let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about these kinds of things, you know, when I, when I live there or, or other places, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've seen that in my ministry in the local church um, as, as a lay person, as a Bible teacher and those type things as well, where we're asked a lot of Christians, um, I don't like to use generalizations too much, but I don't want to use any specific examples either but i've just seen that as well where we people are they're asking the wrong question and they're getting the wrong answer because they don't know how to ask the they don't have the the right um convictions that are grounded in the bible and so we we have to help people um you know learn to ask good questions based on the right convictions uh from scripture we're talking about obviously essential uh biblical (laughs) doctrine here not we're not talking about tertiary or secondary or third order issues we're talking about gospels mm-hmm. right do you have any thoughts on that
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's i i think we're going to get into this a little bit when we start talking about you know really zeroing in on his legacy and that idea to be able to have conviction on the essentials And one of, one of the things that rc and I saw this in him, and I think very much part of his method was clarity, but also precision. And the opposite was what he called studied ambiguity. And studied ambiguity is the concept of sort of a, let's not press the details too far because it's more important that we form an alliance or it's or it's more important that I retain the seat at the table. So if I press the details too much, our differences will be too strong. It will shatter the alliance or I will no longer get invited to the table. And so he saw that as a real temptation that came into the church, came into leaders often of studied ambiguity. You know, this is not something, well, I don't know this because I need to study it further. You know it. Uh, You're just, you're just purposefully keeping things vague. Well, you can't do that with essential doctrines. And you can't do that when true convictions are at stake. We must be precise. And that precision can sometimes divide. And that precision can sometimes get us uninvited from the table. But we're called to the truth. So that's how he saw it. Yeah. What is that? What is that? What do you,
1: what would you say to, to, you know, pastors, teachers about, about that, what you just said? Can you maybe elaborate more on that a little bit? Well,
0: one is you got to be true to the confession of your tradition. So if you're in the Presbyterian tradition, you've got to be vow to keep the standards, the Westminster standards. Well, you got to honor that vow. And when the time comes that your church is no longer honoring that vow, then, you know, you need to move on. Or if you no longer honor that vow, you need the integrity to, to confess up. Um, so I think, I think knowing your doctrinal standards and being true to your doctrinal standards is a place where we start. Um, and then, you know, of course, we, we can look at Orthodox Christianity through the ecumenical creeds of the early church, the consensus of the reformed confessions and that's a good place for us to be and that's a it's a good home for us and those are good guardrails for us uh, and then you know whatever one's particular church's um, doctrinal statements or doctrinal standards are we we just need integrity there and we need to be true to those confessions and stand for them
1: yeah I think that that's really, really good. Well, I know we've kind of gotten into a little bit of this question, but I'm going to, I'll just ask it anyway, because I'm really interested in your answer. Um, do we need men again like R.C. Sproul, you know, with the qualification that you gave earlier, of course, but, you know, he's a man and, you know, he's not Jesus, of course, but, you know, he was a man used by God. And um, and if and if so, what would such men look like in terms of their character and ministry? Hmm.
0: I think one is, and I got into this in the biography, um, or as I, as I wrote the biography, I saw this even more and I tried to present it in the biography, is what a solid foundation he built. Very quietly, very studiously, you know, feet under the desk, book open, pen in hand, just studying. Uh, I have this Bible that he had through seminary and early years of ministry it's just ripped to shreds. Romans is just, pages are falling out, they're scotch taped, there's notes everywhere. I mean, this was a man who poured himself into the word of God and then had the word of God pour itself into him. And those early formative years of college seminary and early ministry. I have his books from his personal library full of margin notes, a highlighter, underline notes in the margins, writing on the back, the end papers and on the front papers and, you know, the inside of the covers. So this, this was, this was a dozen years of serious study. So we hear him now, we watch him now, he gets up, you know, and he, through video, we watch him and he gives a 40 minute lecture and he has no notes and it's compelling and pitch perfect. And you think, how do you do that? And uh, I think it's, I think Bob Lapine mentioned this one time. He asked RC, how long did it take you to prepare after he heard RC deliver, you know, major conference talk? And RC said, oh, about 15 minutes and 30 years. <laughs> And so, you know, RC had so much in his head, he could put together an hour talk in no time at all. He just, you know, it's like movable parts, pull out the files, put it together, here's a talk. Hmm. But what's behind all that is the work, the hard work. So you want to go into ministry? You got to do the hard work. Got to go to seminary. Got to study Greek. Got to study Hebrew. Got to put your feet under the desk. Got to know God's word. Got to read the great theological classics of the Christian tradition. You've got to study and build a foundation. And you can draw on that foundation for the rest of ministry. Of course, you keep on learning, but there's something about that foundational moment where you are really loading it in and building on that foundation. That's number one. Number two is, just be faithful. They didn't, they didn't go to Ligonier with right now. Ligonier sits at about 175 employees. We reach 25 million, 30 million people a year. We produce tons of stuff in 27 languages. There's, we have a college. Um, There's, This was not what R.C. set out to do 50 years ago in August of 1971 when they opened the doors of the study center. They didn't see this. They didn't envision this. They just wanted to be faithful. He loved teaching. And he had this dream of opening a study center and they did. And they were faithful and people came and they were faithful and more people came and they were faithful and more people came. And I think there's just a lesson in that. We just have to be faithful. So work hard, be faithful. And then I think the, the other thing that we've been talking about is conviction. MRC RC would say from the pulpit, if there ever came a time when he would either have to um, recant or relax his Christian conviction or go to jail, he said, You can come visit me in jail. And it wasn't just hyperbole. Uh, he meant that. So I think those are the things uh, I would encourage pastors to think about. Um, he had a here's a practical piece he had a little slip of paper index card, and he wrote on it right from the very beginning of his pastorate days and as a student pastorate in seminary, you must teach or preach what the Bible says, not what you want the Bible to say. And uh, I think that was a North Star for him through, through his ministry.
1: That's uh, that's so good. You know, I'm I'm asked by young people, well, what do what do I do? You know, what what's the what's the next step? I I would just say you just gave it a brilliant answer right there. And um, I would I would just echo everything that you just said. Like so much, Amen. You know, great. That's a that's a great word. You know, don't uh, I'm often telling telling young younger people, you know, don't be afraid of of faithfulness. You know, of starting small. You know, everybody wants to go to these big places, especially writing wise and don't, don't despise starting out small, you know, letting God grow that and, and um, you know, just letting that, grow and be fruitful as you're growing, you know, in Christ yourself with that open Bible, as you said, with R.C. And I um, just love that. Um, but that's that's just well said, well said. You know, uh, we all know R.C. wrote many, many books. Which one is your
0: favorite? Uh, well, of course, you have to say Holiness of God. So I get that as a freebie. Uh, but the, <laughs> yes. After, after that, I go back to his first book, uh, The Symbol. And um, I'm trying to remember, it's been republished, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Uh, but it was on... On, it's on the Apostles' Creed. It was the very first book he published, 1973. I love it. It, it just has all the energy of a first-time author. Walks through the the propositions uh, of the Apostles' Creed. It's just straight good doctrine right over the plate. um So, and I have a I have an early. I found one, a first edition copy. Bought it. Doctor Sproul signed it for me, so it's sort of special in my library. So I'd go with the symbol.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Dr. Nichols, where can, more, where can people go to learn more about you online or on social media or otherwise, brother?
0: Well, if they want to find out about the college, they can just go to Reformation. This is long. So here we go. ReformationBibleCollege.org. Of course, you want to know about Ligonier, just go to Ligonier.org. Um, if you don't have the Ligonier app, I will quote RC, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> so I, I should growl more when I say it. Uh, but if you don't have the Ligonier app, get it. It's just full of stuff daily right there uh, with a click. Uh, one of the things I've done for a while now is a little podcast called Five Minutes in Church History. We have quite a backlog of these. It's the number five minutes in church history. So if you want to go catch up on those um, uh, I'd point you in that direction.
1: And it's such a good podcast. I, I really enjoy it too. So I, I would encourage our listeners to check that out. And and Ligonier guys also has lots of podcasts. So I just, since we're talking about podcasts, I would just go and check those out as well. Yes, absolutely.
0: Thanks for mentioning that, Dave.
1: Absolutely. Well, there's a lot that, you know, we haven't covered in the course of this uh, interview, Dr. Nichols, just as we wrap up, can you give us a few takeaways? You know, I,
0: I think... I think the takeaway of Dr. Sproul is at, at the end of the day, he just, he took the message to the people. I, I mentioned him as a populist. You talked a while back about the Einstein quote and, and you know, how you can make things simple and clear. You know, you can oversimplify things or you can make things so complex, people just aren't getting it. And, and I think as I look at Dr. Sproul, he just had such an ability to speak directly to people. He wasn't patronized. He was talking about complex truths. He would use Latin. He would use big words, but he just he just strove to be clear. And I think he really connected with people. You know, I've heard him preach at St. Andrew's pulpit. I've I've sat under him at uh, teaching at conferences. He had the way of just sort of making you feel like he was looking at you, talking directly to you. And I think it's because he genuinely loved people, genuinely cared for people. And I think that's the ultimate takeaway of his life. He, he really wanted to serve people and teach them so that they could live well and that they would know who God is. So, so I just see that in him as the ultimate takeaway, just a, a genuine love for people that came out, whether it was across the printed page or across the lectern of a conference Session or across the lectern of one of his hundreds of teaching sessions. Uh, that he recorded, he just he just really could connect with you and make you feel like he cared about you and was talking to you directly. That was just a real gift, and uh, I think because of that, he was a real gift to the church. And you know, we miss him. Uh, he's celebrating with the angels in heaven. He doesn't miss us, uh, but but we miss him, and and we thank God for him, and we pray that more will come along just like him and and serve the church, and lead others to Christ. Amen,
1: brother. Well, I love this book, guys, by Dr. Nichols. It's R.C. Sproul, A Life, and we've been talking with Dr. Nichols today. Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for your time, for your ministry. Um, I know you're very busy, so um, I'm praying for you. I know that uh, God is using you and the ministry of Ligonier, and we're blessed by you
0: and the works. That's all, it's all very kind of you to say, Dave. Thanks for this. I enjoy it, and uh, blessings upon you, your life there in that beautiful Umqua Valley, and um, and on your podcast and these folks that are listening. Uh, I just I pray that this is helpful for you all, and uh, may God bless. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast.